Namaste. So we read uh, today the prayer dated May 31st, 1914. When the sun set in the indrawn contemplation of the calm twilight, all my being prostrated itself before Thee, O Lord, in mute adoration and complete self-giving. So beautiful. These are God moments. We were speaking the other day. In everybody's life there are God moments. And every day there are God moments. So in Indian thought they were called as Brahma Mohurt in the morning and then Sandhya in the evening. So these are the moments when there is a change of guard. So in military we have change of guard. So you will see in the change of guard, uh, there is a moment when one is handing over to the other. So there is a quietude that time. And that is a time of stillness. In If you ever watch before the governor's house sometimes, they actually hoist the flag. And so this change of guard takes place between the forces of the daytime and the forces of night. So who is in going in the night? The sun is now putting a cloak over itself. That's how to see it. Because that's how we will maintain the unity of um, understanding. Not that there is day and night uh, as two opposites. So here, when the sun sets in the indrawn contemplation of the calm twilight, the sun is drawing itself and so she is, the Divine Mother says, in this calm twilight, when everything is calm and animals understand, you can feel that stillness in the atmosphere. It is so true. All my being prostrated itself before thee. So all of herself is bowing to the Lord. O Lord, in mute adoration and complete self-giving, so she is not prostrating to ask anything, but to give herself. And to give herself with joy and adoration. Then we see her avataric form. Then I was the whole earth, and the whole earth prostrated itself before thee, imploring the benediction of thy illumination, the beatitude of thy love. So, now sun has gone behind the screen but this is a time to light up the inner fire and to awaken to that inner illumination and that love which holds all this creation together the stars will appear and we'll feel that love inside the plants the trees looking for the lost sun this is the vire <laughs> they go through then in the morning they are so happy one can actually feel in the trees a kind of not sadness, but something close to that. Oh, where is the sun? And then in the morning, everything seems to brighten up suddenly. It's something very interesting and beautiful phenomenon. So, she says that uh, she's imploring. When there is night, you don't curse, don't despair, don't get into all those uh, negative things. But implore the light and love. They are the two things which we need most 
the benediction imploring the benediction of thy illumination the beatitude of thy love oh the kneeling earth that supplicates to thee then is in gathered in the silence of the night so then twilight is over when she is imploring and night comes see how beautifully she is describing for us this state almost makes it so tangible and real so what happens in the silence of the night waiting in both patience and anxiety this is a different anxiety it must come when will it come this anxiety is not whether it will come or not come but when will the day come see this is exactly how the vedic rishis described about months when the sun was not because you know this was at once an inner state but they drew symbols from the life around waiting in both patience and anxiety for the illumination so ardently desired so all the steps of the yoga is there there are periods when the light is not there so sun has been drawn it's twilight one can see that the night is gathering so at that time one should give oneself to the divine in mute adoration and implore the light and the love rather than despair rather than you know be filled with the horror of the night and then to wait the light will come whatever time it takes with patience and anxiety for the illumination so ardently desired so there is in this uh, patience a kind of intensity that's why it is it she has used the word anxiety this is the intensity not vyakulta so one is waiting patiently patience can mean that okay it will come but when with patience there is that intensity so it becomes takes the form of wanting it to come to come soon if there is a sweetness in being that divine love at work in the world there is as great a sweetness in being the infinite aspiration which rises towards that infinite love so that's why when mother was asked why the need of aspiration because anyways the divine will do what the will is this is a fact whatever it may be you may try this way that way i am tempted to say <laughs> in hindi that ramcharit manas ho hi hai so hi jo ram rachi rakha kho kari tark bada wahi shakha that will happen with the lord has will by trying to debate and discuss you are only increasing the branches and entanglements so this so the divine will will manifest not going to waver so mother was asked why then aspiration she says because to give you the joy that's why arjun is given the gandhi not because shri krishna can't do it with this sudarshan that delight for which creation was made that here is somebody seeking and then the beloved comes imagine if without all that suddenly the beloved came you say hello who are you i don't really need you this is how human consciousness will react so when we seek when we wait all this is a single joy the joy of waiting the joy of anticipation the joy of longing the even that pang carries a kind of joy within that's why there is a secret joy in every struggle of the soul 
Because this joy is what sustains the journey. It's longing. It knows the beloved will come. But when, when, when and then after that, there is that grand coming. It is so delightful. If he came too, too quickly in the very first scene of the movie, <laughs> then one won't value. That's why he has given us to play with this effort and all that. Because otherwise, you know, if it comes too early, uh, we won't even value it. That's the unfortunate tragedy. Anything that comes uh, without a seeking, unasked, uncalled, as mother says in one of her talks that even love, when it comes, love comes like that, unasked, uncalled. But she says that human beings don't value it. So even love should be given when there is a real seeking. Otherwise, uh, it just goes waste. But whatever it is, that's how. So there is on the one side the divine love. There is a joy in being the divine love that is giving itself to the world. But there is also a joy in this infinite aspiration for the love. And to be able to change thus to be successively, almost simultaneously, what receives and what gives, what transfigures and what is transfigured, to be identified with the painful darkness as with the all-powerful splendor. And in this double identification, to discover the secret of thy sovereign unity, is this not a way of expressing, of accomplishing thy supreme will? So at one place he says, he says that when you aspire, actually the question was that why is it that sometimes when we are no more aspiring, that time we suddenly have an experience, we receive things. So he says, ordinarily this is how human consciousness it expresses. So there is the aspiration. And then after some time, it's like she gives the story of the hunter who is, you know, hunting for some goodies in the forest at night. Then he gets tired and he sits because he's tired. He doesn't know that whether something has happened or not. When he gets up in the morning, he sees a number of fruits which are lying on the field. So there is a time when for a long time there is aspiration. Now why during aspiration it's not happening instantly? Often, not always. is because, well... There is an intensity and this intensity of climbing up closes a door. Effort. And when after a time one has become quiet, then this begins to enter. But we should be both simultaneously. This is what she says. She says, you know, the image is like the uh, dia. Uh, what is that? Our, our earthen lamp. Not that uh, lantern. The earthen lamp is such a beautiful symbol. So in Arden lamp, you see there is both these things together. It is built like that. So uh, this is the difference from these other lights. So this lamp is built in a way that on one side there is the light which is going up and on the other side there is something which must receive that light. So that's why, you know, <laughs> that's the beauty. It's not a candle. It's not a gas light. It's not a kerosene light. But the that's why the Arden lamp, the diyas, they carry a very special meaning in Indian tradition and you see, you celebrate with that. Candles are alright. Candles are uh, reflect light which burns itself off in the act of giving, which is alright. Uh, then other forms of light are like shedding their light from above till the fuel runs out. But the diya is giving and receiving. 
aspiring as well as receiving. She says, this is the state that must come eventually through the process of yoga. And this is only possible when one has given oneself to the divine and then the aspiration rises. So if the aspiration is without this giving, the receptivity is blocked. So she explains that very beautifully in one of her conversations. Here she is describing this. What aspires is this darkness with which one is identified, the night. So very often those who believe that they are living in all the goodness, 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 there is no aspiration. Sometimes so sad to see that state. Because you are not, uh, you don't have a seeking, you are already, already, apparently already there. But not realizing that below you there is a whole mass of darkness. So it is just hidden. Whereas when we, we, not that we have to try some means to join with the darkness, it's there. But when this night comes to aspire, at the same time be receptive and ready to receive, which comes when we joyously give ourselves to the divine and wait with patience as well as with that intensity in the effort. And to be able to change thus, to be successively, almost simultaneously, what receives and what gives, what transfigures and what is transfigured, to be identified with the painful darkness as with the all-powerful splendor and in this double identification to discover the secret of thy sovereign unity. Is this not a way of expressing, of accomplishing thy supreme will? So its highest point is where on one side there is this aspiration rising from the depths of the darkness. At the other side, one is in that fundamental part already united with the divine love and it is pouring down. That is the ultimate state where one becomes one with the divine and yet there is this aspiration. So beautifully described in Savitri in Ashupati when he reaches that point where he says, only he longed to call forever down her love and light and power into this darkness of this suffering world. His soul was freed and given to her alone. So then he is only longing. Ashupati has realized he is one with the Divine Mother. What else does he need or seek? So now he aspires and simultaneously he becomes a vessel to bring that down because the two movements go together. She says that is the ultimate way of accomplishing thy supreme will. So each one of us on one side must aspire for the earth. At the same time we must identify with the divine consciousness that within us blesses it. And when if we can do it then it has its spreading ripple effects upon the earth. Oh my sweet master, my heart is a flaming chapel. This is the temple. All other temples, mosques, synagogues, <laughs> gurudwaras. <laughs> this was a lesson of Corona. <laughs> One thing it taught. <laughs> this is the temple. These temples are good. It's not that you should start demolish that either or. No. They have their place, their role. Both in the infancy of the soul as well as the mature soul goes there and finds a great joy in the physical contact. But if one takes it that this alone is sufficient and I won't care to discover this in a temple, then it's meaningless. So the two go together. So she says, Oh my sweet master, 
my heart is a flaming chapel and thou art seated there permanently like the sublimest of idols who can touch this idol you see it's so strange invaders came and they broke so many idols broke the temples fools didn't realize that in indian thought the sublimest idol is carried here you just can't destroy it you can't even touch it because if you go near you will be <laughs> electrocuted to use a term so that's how, and if this idol is intact you can build any amount of temples vigra call it whatever this is the sublimest of idols so it is that thy form appears to me clothed in magnificence she is describing how this form appears to her in the midst of the flames consuming my heart for thee so this one kind of meditation she is giving us to concentrate in the heart that it's a temple and a board of the divine and something that uh, at least i find very useful so there is the fire in that fire there is the mother's resplendent form so it's so beautiful that you know there is the fire which is the aspiration represents my own little soul <laughs> and the mother's resplendent form which is in it that's what we understand in holika dehen so you know there is the fire and seated within it is prela then who is in his heart hari so what happens holika dies and prelad is in that flame so often we see that uh, pictureize it as you know yoga or yagya that there is that fire and somebody sitting it here carrying in the heart the flaming presence so this is one of the things that she is giving us a very beautiful not that she is trying to say you should do this that becomes a dogma but one of the beautiful ways to conceive or image for her it is a reality but if someone tells us a reality this is how it is like somebody draws a figure and says this is how shiva looks or shiva may be very different or many more things but it becomes a help to meditate upon shiva so similarly she is helping us that look in the chapel of the heart in the flames there is the resplendent form of the magnificent form of the divine being which for us is shurbindra and the mother and what is it doing consuming my heart for thee and at the same time in my head double meditation i see thee know thee as the inconceivable the unknowable the formless so when we hear it's beyond, why beyond forms is very interesting because shubindu says when you concentrate in the shubindu doesn't speak about concentrating in the center of the eyebrow he said you can do that if you want but anywhere in the head and at one place he says that if you concentrate in the center of the eyebrows because it is the center of uh, will and vision it may actually create a form for you so at some level you will miss that ultimate reality that's what we see in shri ramakrishna's life where he was told that ultimately you have to break even that form of kali which he used to see above his head so while this is okay one can do it but eventually there is that formless aspect of the divine both simultaneously the divine in his resplendent form seated in the heart from where he controls the entire universe and the divine in his formless essence nirgun brahm sagun brahm and in whom both are nirguna guni and the paratpar so in the head she says don't try to build conceptions it could be divine is on all beings fine 
but don't try to build images and conception because if you build images and conceptions and actually it is difficult if one meditates one find it it's so easy and natural and spontaneous to have a form here but the moment you try to make a form here at least for me it tends to enter into some kind of a vastness so she is describing in the head i see the know the as the inconceivable the unknowable the formless and in this double perception this double knowledge lies the plenitude of contentment so this is liberative this is transformative how beautiful this is so when we contemplate on the formless it liberates us from all that and form is not just physical form of course systems of beliefs ideas conceptions notions about the divine all the various dogmas do's don'ts they are required at some point but this liberates us from everything this makes the mind enter into a state of free and universal intelligence on the other hand in the heart one adores and loves the beloved and in this double perception lies the plenitude of contentment so we'll just read it once may 31st 1914 when the sun set in the drawn contemplation of the calm twilight all my being prostrated itself before thee o lord in mute adoration and complete self giving then i was the whole earth and the whole earth prostrated itself before thee imploring the benediction of thy illumination the beatitude of thy love o the kneeling earth that supplicates to thee then is in gathered in the silence of the night waiting in both patience and anxiety for the illumination so ardently desired if there is a sweetness in being thy divine love at work in the world there is as great a sweetness in being the infinite aspiration which rises towards that infinite love and to be able to change thus to be successively almost simultaneously what receives and what gives what transfigures and what is transfigured to be identified with the painful darkness as with the all powerful splendor and in this double identification to discover the secret of thy sovereign unity is this not a way of expressing of accomplishing thy supreme will to so no escape transformation that is how the unity is built between the darkness here and the light above oh my sweet master my heart is a flaming chapel and thou art seated there permanently like the sublimest of idols so it is that thy form appears to me clothed in magnificence in the midst of the flames consuming my heart for thee and at the same time in my head 
I see thee, know thee as the inconceivable, the unknowable, the formless. And in this double perception, this double knowledge lies the plenitude of contentment. Namaste.